Hear ye, hear ye, word nerds. Be forewarned. This podcast contains saucy language of the modern and early modern variety. So plan your listening accordingly. Or don't. That's a choice you can make. Don't say we didn't warn you. Uh, is it me? Oh, it's me. It okay. You. <laughs> it's always me. Ah, fuck. What the hell is down here? It's my <laughs> pants. Okay, never mind. False alarm. It's just pants. It's just pants. <sighs> the pants that are on my body also. P.S. <laughs> so that's where we're at. Shakespeare show. We are your hosts, Dr. Jess Hamlet. And not a doctor or playing one on TV, Aubrey Whitlock. <laughs> what if <laughs> and you were? together we are Whamlet. Uh, and we this, are Dr. Whamlet. Do- Dr. Thank Whamlet. You. Yeah, yeah this, this, the doctor governs us that's both. My, yeah, that's as close to a doctor as I get. Uh, yeah, girl. <laughs> get close to me. This week, it is Twelfth Night 301 Part 2. We, we'll call this a 302 because we're doing it again because we forgot that we did it the first time. So we're doing it again because um, why the fuck not? Because uh, we can. So. Sorry. I'm holding the microphone up to Becky oh. and she was sniffing it, but did not appear to want to. No, she Aww. was, she was, she was singing and it might have gotten picked up earlier, but yeah. no, there anyway. Of course not. Um, thank you for so much for listening to me hold a microphone up to my cat's face. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, we hope that you enjoy listening to me hold a microphone up to my cat's face. Always. Um, and I hope that you come back for more of me holding microphone up to my cat's face. Uh, just that, not for anything else. Yes, no yeah, other content. no, just, just Becky. Yeah. <laughs> always, always we Becky. Stan Becky. We literally do. Um, <laughs> oh, here she is. Sing to your people. Sing to your fans. She's not singing. No, of course not. She's done. Cats don't uh, anyway. command. Jess, what, what do you Rafe think? Does. Hi, hi, bunny. Hi, hi, hi. Okay, uh, sorry. I am distracted by my beautiful cat. It's okay. Um, today, we're talking. Yeah. This Today. is literally all the outline says. We're talking about Twelfth Night. Yeah, and yeah, it's something. a it's a three hundred one ish episode. This yeah. is three hundred two. Um, at the yeah. three hundred level, we do whatever the <laughs> fuck we want. We do what we want. Yeah, we do. What um, we want. so we we assume. Look, okay, look, y'all. It's season six. If you're here. You've you've been here for a minute. This so. is not the first episode that you're listening unless to. Unless it is, so like, in which case, hi. Unless it is, yeah. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, but mostly, y'all know how we do. You know what the deal is, and you know Twelfth Night. So yeah. like, we're not gonna tell you the fucking plot no. of fucking Twelfth Night no. because you don't need that. Mm-hmm. First of all, you don't need that because you know it. But second of all, the internet exists, mm-hmm. and. A, a plot summary on the internet of Twelfth Night mm-hmm. will get you where you need to go, as I always tell my students. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also go like deep into our back catalog, and you can listen to our Twelfth Night One Hundred One and our Twelfth Night Two Hundred One and our Twelfth Night Three Hundred One. Our first Twelfth um, Night Three Hundred One. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a Three Hundred Two, yeah. so uh-huh. it's different. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm just saying, like there are resources out there for you. You know, you know, yeah. you you are a yeah. you know. Our listeners are an erudite bunch, mm. and they know how to get the information they need. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we use 301-ish episodes to, like, <laughs> talk about whatever the fuck we want. I feel like I've said that already, but I'm going to say it again. Like, it's a, I look. a single aspect of a play sometimes, yeah. and then, you know, wherever the music takes us, I guess. Um, yeah, girl. Yeah. Yeah, um, but before we dive into that, we're going to talk happy hour. It is stuff we like that is anywhere on the spectrum between, you know, anti-racist activism and uh, fluffy puppies and bunnies. I don't I don't mm-hmm. know. So somewhere, somewhere on there. Um, my recommendation today 
is a, a wonderful novel that I just finished. And I'm probably really late to this party. It's been out for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, Circe by Madeline Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a fan of the, <clears throat> the Greek mythology uh, and like a retelling from from a female, but also kind of like side character perspective, right? Um, Circe, mm-hmm. I only knew of Circe from the Odyssey, right? As one of the many things that kept Odysseus from making it home. Um, that was mm. the extent of my knowledge of, of the story of Circe. Um, so this really fleshed that out. Literally. Yeah. Was Circe was it. on, it was on my short list for novels I was going to teach in queer lit. Um, but I just, I ran out of space for it. Mm-hmm. I also haven't read it. It's, <laughs> is it queer? No. It was reckon, recommended to me as, as being I queer. Mean, I don't think it is. She has huh. all of her relationships. The character of Cersei are heterosexual. Hmm. Um, maybe it was something else. Maybe Madeline it was, Miller. uh, it might've been song of Achilles. That one is. Yep. That's, that's the one. That's yeah. the one that was on yeah. the short list. That's next yeah. on my list to read. Cause I've heard it's really good right. and I want to read it. Right. Um, yeah, no, Cersei is, is about, um, much more about like her as a goddess and a witch mm-hmm. and really like that, that, um, backstory of, of how she came to be on the Island of Aya. Uh, and Cersei, if you don't remember, is the one uh, in the Odyssey who uh, turns the men into pigs, right? Oh, uh, icon. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's some queen shit, it, right it there. It is. It is. It is. So, so you get you get her origin and backstory, which is kind of rad, um, and it's beautifully written. And I listened to it on audiobook, and the um, performer doing doing that reading was really really good. Um, so that's always enjoyable. So check it out, Cersei by Madeline Miller. Amazing. I'm recommending, and I I, I want to acknowledge the thing that I'm recommending coming from a place of um, some some significant privilege. Um, I am recommending going to conferences in person again. I went to my first conference since 2019 uh, this weekend, and just I it was such a gift it was such a gift I it was a three-day conference but I was only there for one day and even that was just filled my cup I you know I saw beloved beloved friends um some of whom I had not seen since 2019 Mm. um I got to listen to just mind-blowing field-defining scholarship and and ideas and i you know i i i I just i got to commune with people and think and laugh together as as a group um and it was so if you if you yeah i i i recognize that you know the just yeah if you have the opportunity to go to a conference in person again and if you can do so safely do mm-hmm. it is it is i think what many of us have been missing and yeah. needing over the last um several years uh and i'll i'll talk a little bit more about it um when we get to our gossip section but just like it's it's time it's time i think to to start going to things again again if you can do so safely and um if it's not a hardship for you um yeah the time has come it's we are we are so much better when we're together yeah so get together (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right aubrey what what the hell are we talking about today so today uh the reason we're returning to 12th night is because it's a great play. Um, it, yeah, yeah, it is that. It is that. You know, it's a crowd and also, tickler. Because we do what we want. And we do whatever the fuck we want. We're our own bosses. Talk about some queen shit, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but I had the very great opportunity because I work at a theater. Um, <laughs> what? I, know. I I too am speaking from a place of immense privilege um, mm. when it comes to certain things. Um, like access to great productions. Um, so uh, ASC just this past summer uh, did Twelfth Night um, as part of our summer rep. Uh, it was in rep with a the Shakespeare's New Contemporary um, 
uh, Thrive by L.M. Feldman, which is a riff on, on Twelfth Night uh, and is in conversation with, I wouldn't even call it a riff, I would say it's in conversation with. So those were in rep together this summer. And it was a, um, and the reason I bring that play up is because it shaped this production of Twelfth Night, mm -hmm. uh, directed by the incredible Jenny Bennett. Um, Ugh, incredible who's just so wonderful and so fun and and uh she's directed for us at the blackfires uh several times now um but uh thrive called for six people uh and it was very intentionally um shorthanded in that way and it called for a lot of thematic doubling um great and so in order to one i mean let's be practical you know keep costs down um and not employ like twice as many actors and then half of them only do one show. You know what I mean? Um, so this production of Twelfth <laughs> yeah. Night was also a six-person production. So it uh, is what we call small scale. It involved um, several moments of uh, what we know in, in this community, at least, as extreme casting, which is sometimes your characters that you are playing are going to be on stage together because there are so yep. few of you and you have to find ways to like transition between those characters and sort of talk to yourself. Um, so everybody in the, in this little six person cast had moments like that. Um, so that by itself um, made it interesting because I had never seen a small scale 12th night before. Um, and it did bring up, you know, several uh, interesting um double casting uh, or or like uh, sorry doubling thematic doubling moments right. um but but what it really did what it really really super did because again because thrive was very specific about casting um it also forced 12th night to be specific about casting thrive required um five out of those six people in the cast to be either uh female identifying or non-binary um, and only one character was allowed to be uh, male, either trans or, or um, cis male. Uh, so that, of course, affected the dynamics in Twelfth Night. Um, and yeah. what it ended up doing was fixing a lot of my problems with Orsino, um, which, uh, which I found um, just really wonderful actually because I, th I just think orsino's a big dumb dumb i he's just such a dummy and i never understand <laughs> at the end of 12th night like why viola stays with him what she sees in him in the first place and why she decides to accept him can i as a person who has played viola can i attempt Absolutely. to answer this question please, please okay so i played viola um, as a senior in high school, mm -hmm. it was 18 years old. Uh, the year was, well, I'm not going to tell you when, <laughs> because <laughs> that's not important. It was the early two thousands, the very, very early two thousands. Uh, and the reason that my Viola stayed with our Orsino at the end was because he was the quarterback of the football team and he was fucking hot. Well, <laughs> Was that part of the production too? Was he? No, no, it was Seattle grunge. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you say grunge 12th night? I did. <gasps> yeah. We said it in, in 1994 Seattle. Oh, my heart. Girl. I love grunge, man. I, just... I know you do. <sighs> I, I'm okay with the grunge fashion. The music never did anything oh, for me. Just like, just like fuck Nirvana, man. Well, no, there's more so much like more to grunge than Nirvana. There's yeah, no, I'm aware. I'm from the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> anyway, I yeah, I love that. Um, yeah, okay, so yeah, Orsino being a babe is yes. one reason. And you know what? Um, our Orsino, played by Eli Lynn, uh, this summer, no exception. Eli Lynn is a total babe. Um, I will say, Eli was um, was I took one look at Eli during. The like the dresser, the first dress rehearsal I saw of of Twelfth Night, and I was like, "That's the one. That's the one that all of our campers are going to have a crush on by the end of the summer. That one right there." Um, and I was right. Amazing. <laughs> I was right. I called it. Uh, Leah didn't believe me, but I was like, "No, you watch. They're all going to fall in love with Eli," and they did, um, because they are charming. They are utterly charming. Um, and and what was extra fun about. Um, Eli's portrayal of Orsino was that they also played Sir Toby. So 
Whoa, sorry, hang on, yeah. hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay. Orsino yeah. and Toby. Yeah. yeah. So in this in this 12th grade production of Twelfth Night that I was in, uh-huh. in which I played Viola, uh-huh. um, the guy who played Sir Toby uh, is the person to whom, with whom, with whom, I'm just going to go with, with whom I had penetrative sex for the first time. Bravo. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure why that's relevant, <laughs> except that I got to make out with the quarterback of the football team because he was the, my Orsino. But then I got to went home do more Toby. than just make. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did, girl. Um, he was. We're bird walking, but like, when have we ever not on this podcast? Uh, he he cheated on me a bunch which is neither here nor there um and is now married to and i think has a baby with the the girl that he cheated on me with which is something i suppose like i guess they've been together since high school so good on them but the the point that i'm getting to here is that he had a dead kennedy's tattoo on his arm um uh like the the band logo Mm uh on his arm but it was backwards so like you had to look at it in the mirror to get it yes yeah yeah because he'd gotten it illegally when he was like 15 and i think from like a friend of a friend who was like practicing to be a tattoo artist and so it was backwards (laughs) and this is yeah anyway um we're just all the way up in my senior year memories now um carry on <laughs> yeah orsino and um, toby that's yeah. that is an interesting doubling it, that i am living it for. was a fun double um some of the other doubles that that were working uh in an it, like doing really interesting work uh in that production uh were the actor who played mariah and uh yeah the actor played mariah was also antonio antonio's the gay pirate yeah so that was Got fun <laughs> Um, of course he is. He's the gay pirate and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The actor who played Olivia also played Sir Andrew. <gasps> I was adored once. Yeah. Right? I love Andrew. Yeah. That's um, cute. So that was That's a super cute. fun double. Yeah. Um, the only person, obviously, who could not be doubled at all um, was the actor playing Viola. Uh, <laughs> uh, but she she was kind of doing her own doubling didn't, anyway. So as, yeah, as Cesario. didn't. Didn't you say that you'd seen a production one time that doubled Viola with Sebastian? Is that a thing? Am I making that up? You no, you yeah, you saw that and you hated it and it was awful. It was and it was like weirdly transphobic. It was not that actor's fault. That was a different that was at Oregon Shakes in twenty sixteen. Right. They had cast deliberately cast a non binary actor to play Viola Cesario Sebastian. Yes. Um, Yeah, yeah. And they did that. It was not transphobic. Um, that was not the issue. The issue okay. with that was that like their bells and whistles and scenery got in the way of right. that concept, and right. that they decided, ta-da! This is a this has been a trans person and, and or someone with multiple personalities all along. That part was unclear at the very very end, and then they went off with Orsino and right. Olivia as a throuple and that is what pissed oh, yeah, okay. me off about that if one. You, if you'd like to hear a full conversation about this production, it's in our Twelfth Night 201? Probably. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I think yeah, that's... Those were that's, my feelings I can check about that. So no, this, um, this, is a, this is a totally different thing. Um, this production did not make those issues. No. Um, the... Uh, let's see, who else was doubled as who? Um... Annie Fang played Malvolio and Sebastian. So that was fun. Um, one spurned by Olivia, the other gets to get with Olivia. That was super fun. Um, a fun little doubling choice. Uh, and then and then there was Meg Rogers who played everybody else. Who played Festy and Fabian and like, I don't know, five other minor characters. Um, so, but primarily Festy. Um, yeah, so that 
that was um, that was sort of their their big tracks together. Um, but what I loved, what I particularly loved, because because of the folks who were in the cast, right, um, and their non-binariness, mm-hmm. you know, generally amongst them, mm-hmm. um, was that by the end of the play. Orsino has some shit to make up for and they really made him work for it. So uh, when Viola and Sebastian are reunited at the end of the play um, in our production, uh, that moment where Orsino is like, well, looks like there are two of them. I guess I'll marry you. Right. Mm. And and turns to Viola Mm -hmm. and is like, ta-da, you've said you loved me this whole time. And, until, you know, 10 seconds ago, I was still, I was upset that Olivia married this other guy. But now that I know it's you and you already like me, let's do this, right? Um, and the choice that, uh, and and I remember hearing Jenny, uh, the director, talk about this um, in one of our pre-show series. Um, talk about this moment and how she arrived at this with... Um, uh, Jihan, uh, who was playing Viola, which was like, one, by this time in the play, Viola is not quite Viola anymore. In other okay. words, Viola is not fully come back from being Cesario. Viola is still dressed like Cesario, first of all. Um, so there, there are like three moments at the very end where um, Orsino offers himself right offers his hand um and viola does not respond to any of them Mm -hmm. um there are no lines for her to respond but he does say there's one part where orsino is like let me see you in your woman's weeds right um Mm -hmm. and and uh we took the opportunity to have viola kind of recoil the first couple of times Mm -hmm. that orsino offers um, so that, so that there's this lovely moment, um, it ha- they staged it at the foot of the stage. So if you've ever been to the Blackfriars, it's about, you know, 30 ish, 36 inches up off the, off the floor. So their feet are hanging off the stage. And, um, the first time Orsino makes a sort of a grand overture, like, Hey, Hey lady, take me, uh, let me see in your woman's weeds, <laughs> which is 100% what he sounds like. Bada bing, bada boom. Yep. Um, yep. yep. That's, she, it. that's it right there. She, uh, Viola walks away from him, crosses down stage, sits down and Orsino, Orsino's a little bit like, huh? Like kind of confused. Right. Um, and, and he comes and sits next to her and it's, and it's very clear that he's finally getting it that like, that was maybe a little insulting to Viola mm-hmm. slash Cesario. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, maybe you don't want to be in women's weeds. And so I misspoke and I am misgendering you, basically. Mm-hmm. Like Orsino uh, is, is sort of misgendering Viola in this moment. And so he has the lines again of like, here is my hand. Right. Um, and so it, it created this lovely moment of, um, of Orsino actually really having to work for for viola's hand you know uh like he can offer it but getting her to actually give hers back became more right more of a, a a very deliberate choice um hell yeah yeah and and it was just it was just really lovely um to see to see someone finally finally stage i think the the thing that always bothered me about Orsino again, like he seems to have no consequences at the end in a lot of productions of 12th night of like, um, you know, it, there are no, the stakes are very low for him. Like he just, he, he seems to pivot from Olivia to Viola on a dime at the very end. And, and in this mm-hmm. production, he didn't get to do that. Um, and, and it made it, uh, I saw it several times cause I came back and saw it, you know, with campers and, of course, the kids are like falling all over themselves. They're so into it. Um, and they're like, oh, it's so romantic. Yeah. So seeing seeing or- an Orsino that. <laughs> Thanks, Rafe. <laughs> uh, an Orsino that's a little more self-aware at the end and a little more um, contrite but and genuine. I think it forced the character to be... Um, 
more thoughtful. I, I just, I, I, I appreciated it a lot more. It brought me back from sort of my ambivalence about Twelfth Night. Also, another thing that was just really gorgeous um, about this particular production, I think, again, because of the particular cast that we had, um, mm-hmm. and so the opportunity was there, um, is that Olivia was fully a trans woman. Um, because the actor playing her uh, is trans. Um, okay. So it, it was, uh, you know, what we do a lot at ASC is cross-gender casting, right? Uh, where, like, say, a, a cisgendered female body will play a male character, right? Um, right. But, but in this particular instance, um, Marcel, who, who played Olivia, and Sir Andrew Aguicheek, um, Marcel is trans, uh, so, mm-hmm. and so that presented, um, Jenny, um, I, with the opportunity to be like, well, you know, what's great about this and this whole, like the whole, like love at first sight thing then with mm-hmm. Sebastian and Olivia towards the end of the play. So lovely is that that means that Sebastian is falling in love with a trans woman, like it instantly, mm-hmm. there's no mitigation of that, mm-hmm. um, and that was just lovely. Uh, it 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 queered up the play in in really fun and original ways that I have never seen before. Um, and yeah. in doing so, it made me like some of the characters again, uh, <laughs> and uh, and it made me you know less ambivalent about the play. So you know those those are my thoughts and feelings about that. It was it was a, a wonderful production. Um, and and smartly directed and um i really hope some of those actors come back to us at some point because they were really fun to have around so um and they, yeah. and they made really really fun physical choices um the one of the pluses too of having uh having eli doubled as orsino and toby is that that um you know eli is a fairly young person like our age right um ish uh like in their 30s um which made sir toby young-ish right and i have i don't think i've seen very many like young sir tobys um a like young spry drunken sure sure sure, 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 sure. full of vice as toby is um but but uh, i have never really seen a younger person cast as toby before so that was a fun new take on that too Hmm. um yeah so you know just all around super fun production i guess maybe what i'm i don't know if there's like an overall moral to the story other than like (laughs) queer the shit out of your shakespeare productions i guess yes yes please you know because i'm i'm into it make it it. gay yeah just like make it make it gay make it gay okay um and just see what happens you might end up like you know it, it might reinvigorate your love for a particular play again i don't know yeah 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 that's what cool. I got. Uh, well, we got a lot of gossip this week, so let's we do. let's gossip. Great, cool. Oh, you didn't want to like follow up with any more high school anecdotes? Uh, well, at this point, I'm I'm many 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 years removed from high school, and I <laughs> I don't remember too much more about that production no worries. I've, I've told you the important parts yeah, yeah. <laughs> the grunge the, the, babe, the quarterback you know the quarterback and, and the the sex do you want to talk about nazis um no <laughs> i don't but i guess we need to well, we don't need to. Well, no, but it's the okay. First thing on the list. <laughs> I mean, like, generally, do I want to talk about Nazis? No, oh, I yeah. don't. No, of course not. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So the Icarus Theater in the UK. Um, apparently, I, I I found out about this on Twitter after like we when they did. had shut it down. So yeah. Icarus Theater was trying to do a thing with. Uh, a, a production of Romeo and Juliet where uh, Romeo is a Hitler youth and Juliet yeah. is a Jew. And yeah. super problematic and like so much yeah. so that they have pulled the plug on this production. Which, but they doubled down they hard yeah, they, for like yeah. a day and a half yeah. before yeah. they canceled They it. did. They did. Um, um, I can read the statement. Great. I've got the statement up. Excellent. 
Yeah, okay. So uh, this is November 2nd. They they canceled it and put up the statement. The statement says, We apologize and are deeply sorry for the offense and pain we caused to the Jewish community. As a company led by a Jewish artistic director who knows the pain of losing family in the Holocaust, we recognize that we've made mistakes that have resulted in the Jewish community and Jewish artists feeling excluded and being hurt. We have decided to pull our production of Romeo and Juliet with immediate effect. Our intention was to cast Jewish actors and actresses. We were shocked to discover our casting director, who we are no longer working with, had removed this key information from our casting breakdown. However, we failed to notice this error before copying it to our website and posting on socials. Importantly, we believed and accept that we were wrong, that we were moving forward in a way that included the Jewish community and had adapted the text to completely imbalance the two households, making them extremely unalike. Throughout, we have consulted with other Jewish artists and authors, and our hope was to continue doing so through a research and development period as we sought to explore our concept for this production with Jewish groups before opening in March. We accept that we got this wrong. We wish to acknowledge and thank the importance of the Jewish community response in highlighting this. Again, we are sorry for the pain we have caused. What is not addressed in this statement um, is that also their like major casting push was for non-binary actors. Um, and I think also BIPOC actors, although some of the social media has been scrubbed and I, I can't find that to confirm. Right. Hmm. Anyway, (laughs) it was very, very, very messy. Yeah. So, um, I am, I am glad that they pulled it. Um, I am glad that they seem to have parted ways with some of the people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand how that concept made it out of the pitch room in the first place. Right. <laughs> in 2022 to do an R and J that is Jews and Nazis is shocking. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine being more shocked if like, if if let's just say the Shakespeare Theater Company in DC pitched advertised and went into pre-production for a Romeo and Juliet that was like Romeo's parents are in the KKK and Juliet is right one of one of the identities that the KKK hates which is you know pretty much everybody yeah, pretty much <laughs> um pick asian black gay whatever mm-hmm. um jewish again like i can't i can't I, why and here's here's another little um b- before before they release a statement on the second this is from halloween uh, a short little thread that says we apologize and are deeply sorry for the offense our rnj this is when they're still planning to go forward with it our RNJ is a criticism of Nazi fascism and its particular relevance today, made in consultation with the Jewish community, including the director. Our casting director removed key information we failed to notice. These are not two households both alike in dignity. In, particularly, in, in particular, we cut the opening speech and made many other cuts which radically alter the balance of power. Part of our research and development process has always been to include members of the Jewish community to test presentations as we recognize that the director's background is not sufficient to ensure proper presentation of this dangerous concept. <gasps> Our intention is to portray Montagues as the bad guys and kids brainwashed as per Jojo Rabbit, particularly as a criticism of the current political situation. <sighs> I've not seen Jojo Rabbit. Um, Me either. But <laughs> if if you if you want to criticize fascism, there are plays that actually do that. Right. 
also <laughs> go write your own play. Also, how? Who who is sitting in the room going, you know what is a concept that will get butts in seats for Romeo and Juliet? Because that won't sell on its own. Right. <laughs> Nazis and Jews. I, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. Um, like, clearly, I, I, I don't. Sounds to me like they didn't ask themselves, like, the fundamental question you want to ask is, why this play now? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. I feel like we been done the mm -hmm. Nazi Jew issue. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and as you said, there are plenty of plays, novels, short stories, films, so much media that already exists and, and art that exists that speaks to yeah. that and those atrocities right like yeah. shakespeare doesn't need to we don't we don't no. need to do that um if you want to make that point and and bring awareness to to you know anti-nazism and and you know awareness of the holocaust and all of that like there are I mean, other ways <laughs> like yeah and if you want to do if you re if you are hurting to do fascist shakespeare <laughs> do a history do Coriolanus do Coriolanus Coriolanus is a pro that character is a proto-fascist I mean do literally any play with a military presence yeah in it. yeah <laughs> like <laughs> yeah it's uh, just yeah. bad call bad call just God damn. And I love how they keep putting the blame on their casting director for like removing information from the casting notice. Like that's not. No. That's not the, the problem, the, friends. The problem is with the concept, my dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Like. Ugh. Yeah. Anyway, many other people have said much more coherent and better critiques of this than we are. Mm -hmm. But. Just like don't, <laughs> just don't, mm -hmm. you know, just don't. Mm -hmm. So yeah, just don't do it. Just don't do it. <sighs> Speaking of Nazis, <laughs> oh god, that's a, that's a segue one doesn't that is a, want yeah. ever. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I was I'm trying to move forward. Wow. Okay. Speaking of people who, I don't know, are shitty, did shitty things. Mm. And how we respond to them. Take it away. <laughs> uh, Nataki Garrett last week uh, penned her own response. This was published on October 28th um, of this year. Uh, penned her own response to the outpouring of support she's received since mm -hmm. the since that initial uh, NPR article about how she had received death threats, etc. Um, it's in The Root uh, it's at theroot.com. Uh, it's called The Threat of an Inclusive American Theater. Um, it's a great read. She she talks, you know, about her battle with institutional racism and about mm -hmm. um, having to walk around uh, in Ashland with a security detail um, because of the death threats, mm -hmm. etc. Uh, so it's it's her firsthand uh, response to to all of the things that have happened um, uh, both good and bad since, um, since that NPR article came out a month ish ago or maybe mm -hmm. more than a month ago. Um, so it's worth a read. Uh, it's a great sort of update. Um, she says in this article, uh, it is no longer good enough to quote, diversify a cast every now and then it is no longer enough to put on a play that has been written or directed by a person of color every once in a while, these tokens have in the past been considered liberal, progressive, even risky acts for our industry, and perhaps rightly so. But now the entire system is being called upon to shift, to become inclusive at every level for its survival. Everything from artists, cast and crew, to administration, marketing, and fundraising. Um, and that's just a little snippet. Um, but she makes some pretty great points, and uh, it's, it's, it's a good read. So there's a little mm -hmm. bit of follow-up to that in her own words. Um, and she's yeah. fucking rad. I just, I know I've said that she's before, so um, but I, you know, 
I have yet to actually be able to go out to OSF since her tenure started um, and see anything that she's directed. But right. uh, I can't wait to one day. That'll be nice. Moving on. What else? Um, so this past week, um, a, a, a new new book uh, was published. Um, it's called Podcasts and Feminist Shakespeare Pedagogy by Varsha Penjwani, uh, with apologies if I have mispronounced the name. I have never actually heard anyone say it out loud. As you might guess from the title, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. about uh, women, mostly, who do Shakespeare podcasts. Uh, and yours truly get a little mention in we it. sure do. Um, it's also, I want to I wanna say it is, it's short. It's part of the Cambridge Element series. Um which is so great and is uh, where I'm hoping to publish my own book with Cambridge Elements. Um, so the the book itself, I clocks in at under 100 pages. It's nice and short. Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's it's very very short. Um, but also, it is currently free to download. Ooh. It is open access. Um, we're going to link to it. And I, I just want to say run, don't walk. If you are interested in this, like you need to go and download the second that you hear this podcast, because I'm pretty sure, um, that Cambridge elements stuff is free to download only for the first two weeks of it's Mm, being published. So we're like closing in on that time. Um, I, However, can neither confirm nor deny that that is uh, a true story. Um, that is just something that I feel like was said to me when I had my first conversation with uh, an editor about um, getting my own book uh, into a Cambridge Elements series. So anyway, it's it's fantastic. It looks, you know, it looks brilliant and it talks about you know amplifying uh feminist voices and you know all of the the fun good things and like teaching and pitching and Mm -hmm. um communities and so there's a you know a a whole host of uh fantastic podcasts shouted out to uh you know if you're tired of us and you need another one it lists basically all of them (laughs) you're not tired of us no one's tired of us wait we're not the only game in town God damn it. We are not. We're this not the is, only two yeah. white women doing podcasting in this moment in time? I don't think we are. No. <laughs> damn it. I thought we were yeah. really blazing a trail. <laughs> yeah. No. Sorry to say. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is just to talk um, really, really briefly about the the conference I was at this weekend. Yeah, the tell me about modern, it. Early Modern Trans Studies 2 conference at Bryn Mawr, um, which is in Pennsylvania. It's just like an hour down the road for me, which is the reason I was able to go because it was very, very close. Um, and there's no registration fee. Um, so uh, sort of immediately pre-pandemic, 2019 was the first time um, that an emo trans conference happened right after SAA. Um, Colby Gordon, who's at Bryn Mawr, and Simone Chess, who's at Wayne State, I believe, uh, and Will Fisher, who is somewhere in New York, one of the Sunnis or CUNYs. Mm. Um, they are sort of the the leaders of the field, uh, but particularly Colby and Simone um, organized this conference the first time and the second time. Um, they they have been instrumental in bringing the field together and like creating this field like early modern trans studies is so new um and and it is really it is because of of them Mm -hmm. that you know scholarship is happening uh, a conference is happening to showcase a scholarship and then you know collected editions and special journals and um so i was only i was only able to be there on um Saturday, no, Friday. I was only able to be there on Friday. Uh, but the papers were just so invigorating. Um, and I want to just special shout out to our dear, dear, beloved friend, Dr. Joey Gamble, um, who's been on the pod uh, a handful of times. Yeah. Um, Joey gave a paper on uh Edmund Spencer, 
Okay. Edmund? I think it's Edmund. It's not Edward. Yeah, you're it right. Edward? It's Edmund it might Spencer. be Edward. Edmund. Edmund, Edmund, Edmund Spencer, Spencer uh-huh. the poet. The poet. Uh-huh. Uh, and and Spencer's trans uh, verse. Um, yeah, it was very, very good. And Joey is just the most charismatic speaker. And I hope never in my life to have to give a talk uh, directly after Joey or even frankly indirectly after Joey because they're just they're so good at, at what they do um, they're funny and and convivial and they just they they build a world for you to get lost in while they speak um, and I I love them so much and it was so it was just so good to see them. Um, but there I, there was not there was a fantastic um, sort of display of interdisciplinarity as well. Like there was there was one um, one person who uh, was in the like final stages of getting their degree in archaeology um, cool. talking about. Yes, yes. Uh, talking about um, deconstructing sex uh in in like archaeological fields and digs like not like not like the field of archaeology but like when you're out in the field uh-huh. like doing archaeological stuff like in the outdoors that's what i mean by field yeah yeah um yeah so like looking at burial sites and and thinking about trying to to move past the the binary sex hmm. determinancy stuff mm-hmm. um and another like really just beautifully done fantastic paper um by a, a a scholar who's at the university of washington who i didn't get to talk to and i'm just mad um about uh trans historiography and the holocaust so not an early modernist at all mm-hmm. um you know talking about things that are are pretty pretty recent frankly mm-hmm. um and and how uh how some people are being like you know who the nazis loved frankly was trans people <laughs> and they got along really well and just being like uh, it's not Mm-mm. it's not actually a thing sounds like a fact <laughs> no. right um that sounds fake but their their talk had uh pictures from like pre pre like sort of immediately pre Nazi Germany of like a a group of of trans folks in the twenties wearing just like incredible like twenties outfits right mm-hmm. like they just looked you know really but like fly mm-hmm. and like really good um and there were yeah a lot of a lot of great um great images in that presentation uh. Colby Gordon blew my mind as he always does uh, with his sort of reading of Jesus and religion as as trans and like, um, you know, if if in fact there there was this the image that I, I can't get out of my brain that has stuck with me and I'm going to describe it super, super poorly, um, but it's like a medieval style art piece uh that depicts Jesus on the cross but then also Jesus off the cross and off the cross Jesus is like pulling a mini Jesus out of cross Jesus <laughs> so there's like three Jesuses okay uh-huh. so if you can imagine Jesus on the cross right and then the yeah. like the five wounds of Jesus right like the hands and the feet and yeah. then the, in the side yeah. right and so the the like mini baby Jesus is coming out of the side wound and it's okay. it's it's but it's meant to depict like Jesus giving birth to the um the to the church right okay um and and Colby's like so if we if we take and I apologies I'm paraphrasing so poorly but if we take if 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 we take this as like yes Jesus gave birth to the 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 church then here's trans Jesus and here's Jesus with a vagina and it's it was I mean just incredible 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 uh and then Ari Friedlander um did a a a talk that was called when Milton was cis um that really leaned into 
John Milton might not have been as cis as everyone thinks mm. John Milton was. Um, that I just furiously texted my Miltonist friend and was like, babe, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna need you to go look at Sonnet 7 and Prelusion 7 and like, was Milton genderqueer? Because, uh huh. <laughs> Wow. And there's a whole thing like Milton had like long, beautiful, flowing hair. Mm -hmm. And so his nickname when he was at Oxford uh, was the Lady of Christ's Church. <laughs> and that certainly doesn't sound like a nickname that you would give to a super cis manly man. Right. No. Yeah. Anyway, it was just it was great. It was it was such an invigorating, beautiful collegial model of scholarship and community and I, I feel very very lucky to have been able to be there even for just a day yeah so I love that yeah that sounds that sounds yeah. awesome I I just I love nothing more than than a paper session like that that can just blow yes. your mind and make yep. you think about works that maybe you've overlooked or haven't really thought closely mm -hmm. about or you know, just cha changing your mind on, on something, yeah. um, something that yeah. you thought was fixed and suddenly it's, it's troubled, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and that's great. Yeah. I yeah. Love yeah. It. I love yeah. It. yeah. It was magnificent. So, um, that's it. That's the end. Great. Well, cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you to Rafe scream for an hour. Oh my God, I'm going to murder him. <laughs> Oh my god, such an asshole. Such an asshole. Um, anyway, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you leave the podcast more informed than when you started. Um, yeah, uh, tune in next time. We will be back uh, for our... Not not our last episode before the break. Just kidding. We'll be back next time. Yeah. <laughs> um, for a play that you've never heard of, probably. Uh, Robert Davenport's The City Nightcap. It is... A bad play, and we're gonna talk about yep. it. <laughs> I'm excited. It's gonna be great. So, yeah. Awesome. Uh, you know, whamlet out and whatever. The Hurley Burley Shakespeare Show is produced and edited by Aubrey Whitlock and Jess Hamlet. If you enjoyed our podcast, please tell your friends, rate us, leave a review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For show notes and other stuff, you can visit our website at www.hurleyburleyshakespeareshow.com. You can get in touch with us by emailing holla, H-O-L-L-A, at hurlyburlyshakespeareshow.com. You can also find us at hurlyburlyshakes on Instagram. Or at hurlyburlyshake, no S, on Twitter. The land on which I live and work, colonially known as Stanton, Virginia, is the unceded territory of the Monacan Confederation of Nations, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. The traditional custodians of the land on which I live are the Lenape Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Learn about where you live at native-land.ca. Get involved at ndncollective.org and find out more about the Landback campaign at landback.org. All opinions you heard are strictly our own and not affiliated with the institutions we represent. So it wasn't like... <laughs> what? Rafe? Goddamn! I can see his paw. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs>